Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan as we bring you tonight's show. We're going to start the show off with the news of the day, and, we'll, and then we'll dive into Talladega. We'll discuss the win by Ryan Blaney in a really a must-win situation. Goes out there, gets it done there at Talladega Super Speedway. A crazy, chaotic week that had a lot of controversy around it. We'll also talk about the Truck Series finish to the Truck Series race with Johnny Sauter, Riley Herbst, and, of course, Spencer Boyd going to victory lane there in the camping, in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series event there as well. We'll also maybe take a dive into a little bit of a preview of Kansas, Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series in action this weekend as well. 917-889-8280, that is the number to call this weekend uh, tonight here on Talking Circles. If you want to discuss anything that we're talking about uh, in the world of NASCAR, feel free to call 917-889-8280. That is the number to call. Uh, we'll dive right into the news of the day. Uh, kind of surprising for a lot of people. Um, I, I personally didn't think Stenhouse was going to take a ride that some would say would be a sort of a step back from where he was this year at Rosh Feminine Racing. But the two sides get it done, a multi-year contract for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. from uh, Olive Branch, Mississippi. And, you know, Stenhouse has spent the last 10 years, the last eight years in the Cup Series, the last 10 years in general with Roush Fenway Racing. Spencer, what were your thoughts when you saw Stenhouse's news to JTG Daugherty in the number 37 Chevrolet this weekend? I wasn't shocked at all. Um, quite honestly, I don't see it as a step back. Um, that 37 car has ran phenomenal for what the, the equipment they have. Stenhouse hasn't done anything this year whatsoever. I don't care what anybody says. I don't think he's had a good year at all. Um, you know, he missed the playoffs, and his other teammate did. So, I, I mean, I, if you ask me, yes, it might be a smaller team based off name. Um, but, you, I mean, I don't care if he went with a one-car team. If they're running up front, you know, he's going to be in uh, competitive equipment. Um, I think a lot of people are just saying it's a step back based off the name and how they don't have a big shop like Roush and all them. So, um, I think it's pretty much an equal ride based off how Roush has been the past uh, couple years with performance or several years. Um, so, Busher has ran well in it, and, you know, I don't see why Stenhouse can't. Um, you know, some people might say Stenhouse can't drive, Busher's better. But Stenhouse, he, he's not clueless. He's not the worst driver in the world. So, um, who knows? We'll just have to see. You know, that team continues to get better and better every year, step-by-step. Um, step. And with them going uh, aligned with Hendry Motors and Chevy, I think that was a step in the right direction. So, um, we'll just have to see. And there really wasn't any other options for him to go. Um, there might have been a few, but this made the most sense, if you ask me. For sure, the, the rides that were out there, and really what it came down to was whether or not Stenhouse still wanted to do this in the Cup Series in 2020. And it certainly looked like, from a lot of the rumors we were hearing, you know, there was a, some, some talk that he might even go to front-run motorsports, which would have been a real surprise considering he could go dirt racing and really make a nice career out of it if he wanted to do that. And if I'm a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. fan today, I'm happy that my driver decided to do this because it, it shows how committed he is. I don't really think he needed the money. I don't think he really um, – you know, like I said, he could have made a nice career out of the dirt series. So this is something that you sit there and you go, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. still has a chip on his shoulder. He still has something he wants to prove. He still wants to make NASCAR, um, you know, his his life, his career in NASCAR. And I think that's a that's a huge, huge um, a win for NASCAR because you know you, you heard you know Larson come out a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago and say how he wanted to run on the World Outlaws Tour. Uh, and that was his dream, not NASCAR, and it's kind of set a lot of people back, and he thought maybe Stenhouse, coming from the same makeup, would have taken the same approach. We saw Casey Kane sort of leave and run dirt racing. Now, I know there were some other is- issues around there, but still, uh, Tony Stewart's done that in the past, done that. You know, he still runs on the dirt series, didn't want to run NASCAR anymore, but Stenhouse is different. Stenhouse, I know he's a younger guy than the other two I just mentioned, but still, he could have easily had a dirt career, stays in the Cup Series, um, and it is, you know, Spencer, you're, you're probably right. It is a, a maybe a lateral move at best and, and a, a fresh, you know, uh, change of scenery for Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, Philip, when you think about it. He goes from a Ford where he's been with like the last 10 or 12 years at Roush to a Chevrolet with Hendrick Motorsports engines at JTT Daugherty Racing 
what are your thoughts on Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s new home for 2020? I mean, it's definitely good for for Stenhouse in the sense that he's been out there for the last few weeks. He's like, I have unfinished business. <clears throat> he didn't want to leave. I mean, the reality is he's well vested in in both the world of outlaws and uh, USAC in the midgets and sprint cars with the uh, with the Kloss and Marshall Stenhouse team. And I wouldn't have been shocked if he went and did that. I think it would have been it would have been uh, refreshing. It would have been good for those guys for the the those series because I think he would have just kind of went and did a little bit of everything the way Tony does, the way that Kane does, and whatever. In the end, though, I think he did want to stick around in Cup, and and this was the only option that was really there, and. If we're gonna go and balance who got the better end of this deal, I think it's gonna be it, it might weigh slightly to Roush because they're making up for a mistake they made a few years ago. And I think Chris Busher honestly, in terms of potential, uh compared to Stenhouse, I think has more potential to win a championship and is somebody that theoretically because of his demeanor and his mentality you could build around. Uh, what what JTG Doherty has is somebody who's hungry, is angry, you know, somebody who if he with, I think the biggest thing for him for Stenhouse is he had that great relationship with Mike Kelly in the Xfinity series. They won a lot, and after he was wrecking all kinds of race cars, and he never really had that in the Cup series. They constantly were changing crew chiefs, same thing they do with with Dylan, the Dylan brothers, and both of them aren't that great either. The I think the going with Trent Owens, if they keep this together the way they keep it, or with the team, if they keep Trent Owens over there on the 37, is going to be a great stabilizing thing for him, and he'll be able to get right out of the box and perform um, and kind of prove people wrong that he isn't, you know, just a wreck, the what everyone calls him wrecky, whatever you know the, the talking about how he crashes and everybody and constantly destroys equipment and all these things. The reality was on Monday he was one of the best cars. He probably had the best car um, out there. He had the fastest car, and if he had actually had help, he might have won that race. Um, he's shown very well on super speedways, JTG stuff isn't the fastest stuff but it usually gets there to the end if they can get there it gets up front late which you put those two things together i think in the end it's going to work out uh just fine for him the multi-year deal means they are invested in in having stenhouse uh there for the long haul which is good for both parties i guess i was thinking about it in the sense of like you might as well just called aj allmendinger back and put him back in there i mean it's not like that it's a I, the only difference is, okay, he's won the Xfinity Championship. But in, I don't really think that there's a much of a difference in terms of theoretical performance and the value that, that Stenhouse brings in that sense. But, you know, we'll see how him and Ryan Cleese work together. Uh, it's going to be a building year for sure early. Um, they'll be able to perform on the, the Daytona Talladega. But I don't think he's going to be top 20-ing the way that Busher has. Uh, but, you know, maybe he'll win. And at that point, it doesn't really matter. So, I mean, it is for what there was what there was, and the fact he wanted to stick in NASCAR, the best option. I thought some of the one of them daddy's money people would probably call them and they'd go with that, but they didn't want to have to be inexperienced drivers. So, the... We'll see what happens at Daytona in February, I guess. Yeah, and this is the first time they actually got a driver who um, has come from a really a different organization. I know AJ was there, but AJ wasn't really with a, a, an established organization for a long time, like yeah. Ricky was. You know, so Ricky's sort of the driver that they got. They say, okay, you know, we want we got somebody who knows the notes of these race cars, understands what's going on, and he's a good driver. And I think there was no doubt. 
you know, it's almost like when a head, when a good head coach gets fired from an NFL team, Mike McCarthy, for example, from the Green Bay Packers. I think everybody could agree that that relationship with that team was was over. It needed they needed to make a change, but it doesn't mean that Mike McCarthy is a bad head coach. So um, there's no question. I think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and, and Rash Fenway. They they sort of needed a change. They were sort of at a at a moment where you could say it was a little stale. Um, so maybe this is a, a good change of scenery for all parties involved. Where Roush Fenway goes to gets Chris Busher and Chris Busher does very well there, and Stenhouse goes to JTG and does very well there. Um, I don't think that's totally out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but you know you kind of touched on it a little bit, Philip, and I want to get your take on it. You know, just sitting here as it is, and I know it's October 16th, and we got a long way till Speed Weeks 2020. But what are your expectations for this car, for this team next season? Uh, I always ask that when a team comes in there because I kind of like to, to get an idea of how other people view this uh, this move. You know, you have a guy here again who's won two Cup races, and when you think about the super speedways over the last few years and the fastest race cars, who's been the fastest cars there? It's been uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick Motorsports engines have been very, very fast. Now, that didn't translate this year to uh, a team to over to uh, JTG this year in the play tracks, but still, um, you know, Stenhouse might be able to bring some extra knowledge there as well. I'm curious to see if, if Trent Allman stays as a crew chief or if he makes a jump to Rash Fenway with Chris Busher. Uh, I'm curious if that's the case there. We'll see how that all shakes out. But as it's set right now, Philip. What are your expectations for that 37 team for the 2020 season? I think he's going to be slightly worse than Chris Busher. Uh, and that'll probably be, you know, outside right around 20th. I believe that the fact that he's got closer ties with, you know, his good buddy Kyle Larson uh, will probably help both. JTG and Ganassi a little bit in the in terms of performance and maybe there will be a little more of a connection there uh, but I don't think that it's going to be you know somehow say like he's going to have a career type year like he had in 2017 I don't think I honestly think that if it's going to be one or the other I'll go and push her the whole way uh, I'll go push her as a career year he finally gets the second win now, something comes off and there's a possibility that both Roush Fenway cars make the make the chase and then in turn that'll probably screw over, you know, one of the rookies that a tough period next year, which right now is only two, but it's probably gonna be three or four, uh, by the time you get to Conan February. I don't think that I mean it, it is gonna be it's gonna outside of Daytona, I don't think we're gonna really see and that's the thing. The biggest thing is Trent Owens. I honestly put this based on Trent Owens. If Trent Owens goes with Chris Buescher, it's no doubt anyway. I already believe that Chris Buescher is going to have a better year than Stenhouse, but Trent Owens going over there would exponentially accelerate the process for both for Chris Buescher and then working with Scott Graves and that whole deal. If he stays with Stenhouse, I think Stenhouse needs that stabilizing force need somebody that's kind of proven with smaller teams this whole time that he can win with a lot of different people. And unfortunately, the way things are in Cup, it's very difficult for a smaller team. It's not for lack of effort that Chris Busher hasn't gotten victory lane this year. The reality is since May or whatever, you've talked about it for months, how consistent they've been. And they've had a couple of really nice finishes. I think they can they can compete at a at a Daytona or Talladega. Outside of that, I don't know who. Depending on the crew chief, depending on the connection they have with Ganassi, what may happen with that. But I don't believe he'll finish any better than what what uh, Busher is this year. I, I think he'll be either he'll equal he'll probably be level or worse. Yeah, it's gonna be. I'm gonna be very interested to see how that team uh, performs there in the 2020 season. How about you, Spencer? What are your expectations 
for uh, the 37 team over there at JTD Dollery next year for 2020. I mean, do you think this is a, a step in the right direction? Obviously, there's still a lot to go on. I mean, we're uh, a long way away from, from Speed Weeks, about five, six months away from Speed Weeks 2020. But uh, what are your expectations for this team um, sitting at it right now? I mean, I agree with what Philip says. I don't, uh, I don't see Stenhouse going over there and just uh, having a fantastic year winning races. Um, I know the only way I see that team really improving is if they get more uh, funding um, and get their cars a little bit better, and which they've done, like I said, every other year. Um, every year they seem to improve just a little bit, and it shows. Um, yet Busher and Stenhouse are two different people. They're two different drivers. Um, they own, they have their own driving style. But I always say change can go a long way, and you just never know. I mean, uh, Busher has, you know, he's had consecutive top 15s or top 20s, whatever it was, and he's ran in the top 10. And some of the tracks that you wouldn't think they would run at uh, in top 10 all day, and he's done that in that 37 car. So um, they, that 37 car had a had a phenomenal year. Um, with him and um, Busher over there and that whole organization with the 37 car. Um, so you just never know. I don't like – they're going to be competitive at Daytona um, because Stenhouse – and Talladega because Stenhouse knows how to do it there. Um, he's aggressive there. But yet you look at Busher and he can go over there and uh, win races on other tracks besides Daytona and Talladega maybe. Um, and the 17 car brings a lot of speed to those cars. So but I think Busher can get it done over there too. So um, – you just like Philip said, you just gotta kind of have to wait until the season starts, and you know you'll really start to notice, you know, a few weeks in after you pass Daytona um, and Atlanta, and really get into the uh, the West Coast swing and see how them teams, if they start running better or they fall off a little bit, you just never know. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. That's the number to call if you wanted to talk about anything NASCAR related tonight here on Talking in Circles and something else that was announced this week, guys, uh, officially announced was that Ross Chastain will drive the number 10 car and a second car for um, Colic Racing. And actually some news this coming out, trickling out this evening right now with Colic Racing. Um, they're hauler going to Kansas Speedway. They're going to run a second car this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Their hauler got into an accident on their way to Kansas Speedway this weekend. Uh, apparently there's a couple of injuries, uh, and it looks like the hauler is, is down an embankment right now, so uh, the number 10 hauler from Kellogg Racing, no no word on how this is going to affect their entry into the uh, Xfinity Series race at um, at Kansas Speedway this weekend, but our thoughts and prayers are with that team uh, right now as this is trickling out here uh, right now as we speak um, on Twitter and, and other forms of social media. Uh, guys, let's talk about this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, it was a interesting race from a lot of perspective. You know, still saw some wrecks, uh, saw some controversy in both the uh, Cup and the Truck Series events. Uh, but it ended with Ryan Blaney, who needed a victory, got got himself into a big hole uh, at at uh, at Dover, and needed the victory, and just snipped Ryan Newman at the line. Uh, there was some controversy there. With Newman and Blaney on the finish, it looked like to a lot of people that Blaney went below the yellow line to advance his position. I don't think he did, uh, but also you could argue that maybe Newman forced him below the yellow line, and there was no penalty called. Um, first of all, Spencer, I want to get your take on, on Blaney's win. How impressive was that for for him? I mean, he, he was sort of in a must-win situation and uh, was able to go out there and pull it off. What are your thoughts on, on his run at Talladega and his victory there on Monday afternoon after the race was delayed after stage one? Yeah, you know, um, with those races, you just kind of kind of have to stay out of trouble and be there at the end, and they did that. Um, they were able to capitalize at the end. Um, whether what everybody says, he went below the yellow line or not, he's the winner. Um, and, yeah, he needed the win, basically. And now he will move on to the round of eight, and he'll uh, – you know, be locked in like Larson is. So, you know, coming into Kansas, you don't have to worry about nothing. And it's momentum. Um, you never know that team can start clicking off. And he hasn't had the best of year. I mean, but look what his teammate did last year. They have that good of a year. And um, he had an okay year. wasn't phenomenal. And then he comes out and wins a championship. So, 
Um, he's in good equipment, and, you know, he can come out and, when, you know, he could possibly be the champion. But uh, back to Talladega, you know, he was, like I said, he was there, um, and that's what you have to do at those places. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has – it's fair game at those racetracks. So, um, congrats to them, and you never know. Momentum's huge, and it can take them all the way to Homestead, Miami. You just never know. So, um, we'll see how he does uh, this week in Kansas. Yeah, and it was a, a big win, Philip, for, for Ron Blaney. There's no question about it. He only won by a couple of inches. I thought Ryan Newman, I think one of the boldest moves of the race for uh, for that the whole race, and really in a long time, and actually in a long time, Newman sort of played the Dale Jarrett strategy, which is what I like to call sitting in the back and sort of waiting for the race to come to them. Uh, and Newman did that so much so that after stage one, when the race got refired on Monday, um, Newman didn't initially go out on the racetrack. He went to his pits, made a four-tire pit stop, and the team served a go-to-the-rear-of-the-field penalty, but that sort of played in their hands anyway because that's where they wanted to be. He avoided, they avoided the chaos on pit road that, that always seems like always around. Every time we're on a play track, there seems to be chaos on pit road because there's just so many cars on the lead lap at these restricted play tracks, excuse me, at these super speedway races. Um, and they avoided all that and sort of hung in the back. And when the time was right, Ryan Newman shot to the, to the lead and really lost it by just a little bit. But what a nice run for that team and what a good win for Ryan Blaney. What were your thoughts on the whole race? On Talladega on Sunday on Monday, uh, Philip Matthews. Yeah, I mean, the, for Blaney to go and be able to make that move and have the foresight to not block. Uh, I mean, he was too late to, but then he he went and you know did the side draft to separate the tandem that Blaine, um, Ryan Newman had with I believe it was Hamlin. couple of days I've been struggling. So the fact is separated the tandem so he was able to get a run. He made a run. Newman juke right and Blaney went there and they door he door Newman doored Blaney which forced him low down under the yellow line. It wasn't and he came right back up. He wasn't out of him before he was under the yellow line. I don't I probably have to watch the three that again but it wasn't as as uh, egregious as the one on Saturday. Blaney has been struggling all year. They needed this in the worst way for multiple reasons. One, just for team morale and the fact that they haven't performed this year at all, really to justify their place and where they've been relative to their two teammates. And for Blaney himself, he's a big, you know, big positive guy. This could fire him off, and something crazy could happen. No, this could be the this could be the catalyst for something, you know, like an out of out of left field kind of championship situation. Um, if they can keep this momentum going, uh, for Newman, they've been performing above their weight all year. Uh, no Neck has done a great job with with Roush, and I believe him and Bush are going to bring that team forward next year. It sucks that they didn't, for him and for his fans, they didn't win, but in terms of the playoffs, it flipped the playoffs on its lid. Uh, Blaney winning and, and Larson winning have made it quite an intriguing uh, Kansas race when you consider Kansas one of the worst racetracks they go to. Um, it actually might be worthwhile uh, to watch a race like Kansas. Um, Talladega is what it is direct test you're waiting for somebody to lose their talent and run over somebody and that's what happens i don't really care for this type of racing it doesn't matter what rules package they set up it does there's a lack of general lack of respect for not only the drive for each other but the equipment and all that so you destroy half the race cars that are there every fight i don't understand what the purpose of it is i don't think that it's benefits anybody but because people show up to Daytona Talladega and for Spencer of course Daytona is there and I'm never going to say we can't that's the thing no matter what I love Daytona too we're going to have to go there no matter what place so unfortunately we have Talladega too people want to get blitzed and lose their mind in the infield and and that's fine I think that's why they have Talladega 
for for people to go and and go and do crazy stuff and whatever. But in terms of actual yeah. racing, it's racing. It's not really all that great. So I'm glad for Blaney as somebody who's a supporter of him. Um, I didn't think that was going to happen. So him flipping the lid on on the playoffs is good, and uh, we'll see what happens at camp. The big picture-wise, there was a, a lot of things that went on uh, at Talladega that, um, you know, really put some guys into some either win-or-go-home win, win situations or they're going to have to have a, a really, really solid weekend at Kansas to put themselves uh, in a round of eight. You know, Blaney's win did a lot to do that. You know, Larson obviously won at Dover. That was a big win for him, so he advanced Blaney as well. Then you have a lot of guys who are really good in, in points that are in Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch. I think Kevin Harvick will will race in the round of eight. The two drivers who are, I wouldn't say they're in trouble, but are most vulnerable right now to miss the playoffs without with a tough weekend at Kansas are Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, who currently sit 20 points and 18 points above the cutoff. Ninth in the standings and currently the first driver out of the playoffs is Alex Bowman. He's 18 points out. Chase Elliott's 22 points out. Clint Boyer's 24 points out. And William Byron is 27 points out. Uh, I think when you look at Bowman and Elliott and Boyer and Byron, they're going to have to do something that is that they really haven't done all year, and that is run in the top five, get uh, stage points, top five stage points in both stages, and then pull off a, a dramatic win or pull off a top five finish to get themselves into the playoffs uh, at as we get to, to, to Kansas. Now, Hendricks really struggled on a mile and a half other than Bowman's win there at Chicago. Chase won here a year ago, Spencer, um, and I think Byron's going to need a miracle to get in. What are your thoughts on, on the, the playoff picture right now for the Cup Series? Do you see staying the same eight drivers that we currently have in it, or do you see somebody that could surprise, surprise them uh, what are your thoughts on the playoff situation as we get ready to go to Kansas Speedway here this weekend? It's kind of tough. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Chase won there last year, but he wasn't the best car last year, if I remember. Um, uh, the, pit, the pit strategy, whatever, that really helped him a lot there. Um, yeah, I don't know. With Logano and Brad being only 20 and plus 18, I don't really see them going there and running that bad. You know, I see them running in the top 10 all day, collecting stage points. And, um, you know, I feel like everybody above seventh and eighth, Harvey Bush and all them guys above them, um, I pretty much think they're safe. So, honestly, I would have to say the four that are below the cut line are going to be the four that's going home if, you know, Brad and Joey just don't wreck out, you know, real early. Um, 18 and 22 points is a lot to make up if you don't, if you're not getting stage points. And I just, it's, it's going to be mind-boggling if the two and the 22 go out there and run like junk. Um, I just don't see it happening. But this close of uh, making it to Homestead and we're this deep into the uh, cha- or playoffs, whatever you want to call it. So um, I'm going to have to say Hendrick's hopes of winning the championship are going to be over after Kansas. Yeah, it, it's kind of surprise, kind of crazy when you think about Hendrick Motorsports. I don't know if it's surprising, but it's been crazy. I felt like a lot of people thought they were the top Chevrolet team, especially that nine team. They were the top Chevrolet team to, um, you know, run for the championship this year. And really, the only Chevrolet that is left for the playoffs is going to be Kyle Larson if Hendrick doesn't pull up a miracle here at Kansas Speedway. So that's kind of surprising um, when when you think about it that way. But uh, I think overall, you know, we'll wait and see what happens at Kansas. But over, overall, it's been a pretty disappointing year for that bunch of Hendrick Motorsports. And they're going to need to go back to the drawing board for 2020. Kind of an interesting comments here for Chase Elliott. Um, about the uh, – and, and here's something else I want to discuss with you guys about the manufacturer notes. He came out and he said, hey, we're talking about the Camaro for 20 uh, – the new Corvette uh, for 2020. And you kind of make you scratch your head and go, well, they're going to bring the Corvette to the Cup Series in 2020 because we know the Camaro's not returning. Um, so, inter- very interesting. But um, how about that, Philip? The, the kind of – it's been kind of um, under the – Buried under the rug here, swept under the rug a little bit because of, of the yellow line rules and all that that's kind of gone into that. But what about the manufacturers 
sort of, especially Chevrolet, it really seemed like Chevrolet was was a key manufacturer and wanting their drivers to stay in line and help each other out. And they were very disappointed that a Chevy did not get the victory lane. Um, and they're sort of dictating what what the drivers do. And there's harsh repercussions if they don't follow orders from Chevrolet. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Now, you know, I think manufacturer alliance has always been a thing on these super speedway races, especially since when we had the restrictor plate. But was it to a different degree this weekend, do you think? Or do you think it was sort of business as usual and everybody blew it out of proportion? What are your thoughts on, on the whole manufacturer situation uh, that we saw this weekend at Talladega? Yeah, it's it's gone to the extreme because, I mean, it's an overreaction to what happened in this race last year when Stuart Haas Racing literally ran, just dominated the whole entire race. Those four cars were together all day. Kurt Busch led this basically the whole day, ran out of gas. And then Eric Almirola, you know, after luckily getting through the first round, wins Talladega and makes a run and wins the fifth and point. It's gone to the extreme now to the point where you had Jim Campbell having two meetings with every driver and crew chief. Like, you can only you need to help the playoff guys, and we want a Chevy to win and all this crap. I'm like, here's the thing. It's freaking Talladega. To get the chance that all those Chevys are going to make it through these wrecks is slim and none. And when you look at the final results, outside of the Dillon brothers, because they're too dumb to work with each other, they were too stupid to work with each other, and then they screwed up with Stenhouse. They were going to work with Stenhouse, and then they blocked Stenhouse and started racing with them. So that was your Chevy. Chase Elliott's car was destroyed, and then Ross Chastain doesn't have an alliance to anybody because he's Ross Chastain. He can do whatever he actually wants, and that team is whatever. They're just, I mean, uh, so after that, what other Chevy was there? You had Ryan Creek. Uh, Busher got wrecked on the last lap, and uh, the rest of them were damaged. So, I mean, the the whole manufacturing thing was was just ridiculous. Um, the having and and it's just the it, it. I tried to think about it back to when, to a point, I think DEI kind of worked together when it was Junebug, MW55, and Steve Park. And, wherever else would end up driving on. And then they kind of had that engine alliance with RCR and then Andy But it wasn't like it was like announced and it was a thing. It was something that kind of organically worked together so they all seemed to be relatively fast and they all were Chevy and whatever. It worked out that Tony and Dale Jr. worked really well together so they end up drafting like Bobby or followed Tony. So they all kind of run up front. That's how that whole deal was back in the day. In the end, when you consider this kind of racing, it's every man for himself, and it should be that way. And it shouldn't. If you if you want somebody to win, go and give them a fast race car that doesn't have a pointed nose on the front of it. So then, when you hit somebody, you go and turn and wreck half the field. That would be a novel concept. Uh, instead of worrying about all the Chevys working together, maybe make a nose that isn't crap, and then you know, and and then. You don't have to worry about people working together. You might have a fast race, and you're not left with the villain to go and try to fight it out right. with Ford. Um, I mean, and then when it comes to, like, with the playoffs, I mean, outside of Chase, I don't see any of those guys really uh, doing anything. I mean, I was just looking back at the results of the May race, and Brad, and Brad won there over Bowman late race or late race restart or whatever. He passed him under the late race restart. Eric Jones is the only Toyota out of in the top freaking 15. And there was a bunch of 300 cars in the top six. So who knows? Maybe maybe one of them Hendrick cars does something. But if it's going to be Hendrick cars, it's going to chase out. It's going to be Alex Bowman, even though he finished second there. And it ain't going to be. It definitely isn't. So outside of Chase going and pulling one out of his hat, you know, kind of Jim Campbell's not going to be a happy guy this weekend. Yeah. There's uh, about the manufacturer discussion to bring that back sort of to where, where when you were talking about a little bit, um, 
you know, to me, uh, I just think it's sort of a terrible strategy to say Chevrolets have to work together because, you know, there's going to be times where you, you're looking at a lane and a lane will be moving. And if it's a forward lane and you want to get your Chevrolet in front, you should move up there because if that lane you think is going to help you improve position, you shouldn't just sit there and say, well, the bottom's stalling, but there's four Chevrolets in front of me. i got to stay here. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I just don't understand what they were thinking. You know, and I, I, think, I think it's got a lot more to do with teams working together a little bit more. Uh, the cars being so much more tighter, there's not a lot of advantage you can get from it. But um, I, I also hate the fact that it, it takes away maybe somebody like Richard Childress Racing or Jermaine uh, 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 Racing, a team that um, is a very fast race team, but sort of might get swept under, might get forgotten about a little bit by Chevrolet and say, well, you have to help push somebody to the win. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening. And, and I hope that the Daytona 500, when they get really racing and everything's on the line for that prize in 2020, that those that nonsense that we saw this weekend with the Chevrolets is gone. It certainly seemed like the drivers were annoyed, and, and it certainly seemed like um, a lot of the teams and a lot of the media and, and a lot of the fans were really annoyed. Quick update I want to give you. I talked about it earlier. Colleg Racing, uh, their number 10 hauler, getting into an accident on their way to Kansas Speedway this weekend. Uh, Matt Colleg, excuse me, team president Chris Rice, released a statement saying, quote, while on the way to Kansas Speedway, the number 10 caller racing transporter was involved in an unfortunate incident along I-40. Both our hauler drivers are alert and have been transported to the hospital for further evaluation. As planned, our team will field two entries and compete for the win, end quote. So if you're worried about Ross Chastain's entry into this weekend's race at Kansas, it looks like the team will indeed field the number 10 car for Chastain this weekend after announcing that he will run that second car full-time for uh, next season. So that's pretty good news there out of Colic Racing. Just wanted to kind of give an update there uh, if you're listening to us live and uh, you saw that kind of trickling out on Twitter. That is the story um, here on for Colic Racing. Meanwhile, as we go back to Talladega and, and review a little bit, we'll go to the Truck Series event um, at, at Talladega Super Speedway. And it, that one ended in a lot of controversy. Um, really, Johnny Sauter, I thought, ran a tremendous race. Uh, a good, savvy veteran move there at the end. But, you know, he pushed – there's no doubt in my mind he blocked uh, Riley Herbst at the end of that race, put Herbst below the yellow line, uh, and he went to, across the finish line first, I should say. Went to victory lane. NASCAR called, told him he was the winner, which was an absolutely – it's absolutely insane to me that they could do they they could do that, but they did it, um, and then told them, "Oh, by the way, you're not going to victory lane. You got the win taken away from you for blocking." Now, before I want, I want to get Spencer's opinion on this, and then we'll go to Philip. But before that, I just want to say, you know, here's my my issue with the situation on this. Uh, I think it was the right call, but I've seen see people do that, and and I know logically when you think about a situation like this, automatically people are going to go back to 2000 and. Uh, eight with Tony Stewart and Regan Smith, and that is a very similar situation where Stewart, you could argue, pushed Regan Smith below the yellow line, and uh, Smith was able to pass Tony Stewart there at that point and got the victory, but they said he was below the yellow line. You can't finish your position, and he lost. They took the win away from him, and Stewart went to victory lane. Um, so at the end of the day, my problem is that we don't, we never really seen that call. We all knew it existed, but we've never seen that really called, especially in that big of a of a of a um, of situation where Sauter. Now, good good thing for Sauter is he's already eliminated from the playoffs, so it wasn't really cost him a championship, but uh, it cost him a race win. You know, and Spencer Boyd, who ran a great race as well, he was third on that uh, coming to the stripe when uh, Sauter and uh, Herbs got together and sent Herbs, who was running second. Uh, but Boyd was able to get the victory. He, he once uh, Sauter got the disqual- sort of disqualified and moved to the last car in the lead lap. Uh, it was Spencer Boyd in victory lane. So, what were your thoughts, Spencer Cowan, on um, on what you saw there on Saturday afternoon in the Truck Series event at Talladega? Do you think NASCAR got it right with Johnny Sauter, or do you think there needs to be a little bit more further explanation on this yellow line? Well, what are your thoughts in general? about this yellow line rule in NASCAR. It's been around for, God, I can't remember when the first time they started it, but it's probably it's been at least 15 years we've seen this yellow line rule uh, in effect. 
what are your thoughts on, on, on the situations this weekend at Talladega and the yellow line rule in general? Uh, I mean, well, first let me let me start off by saying this. If you go okay, use that Justin Haley situation at Daytona. He went below the yellow line to advance his position. Therefore, you should be black flag, whatever you want to call it. You're the last car on the lead uh, lead lap, and that's where you finish or disqualify, whatever you want to do with it. But for this situation, Sauter, all he really did was block. He he never lost the lead. He was just blocking. He didn't advance his position. So, I mean, you can – I feel like if you go below the yellow line and you advance your position at the end of the race, I don't care what track you're at, is it, if it has a double yellow line, um, you, you know, that's the call that needs to be made. But I feel like if you just go down and block, let me tell you, it's a lot easier – it's easier said than done. I mean, we can all say, why'd he go down there? Because if Herbst passed him below the yellow line, Herbst is going to get disqualified and Sauter will still be the winner. But all you're thinking is the car is coming to the inside. You need to get down there and block because you can see the checkered flag 200 yards in front of you. So I, I'm 50-50. You know, he, they did go below the yellow line, but he didn't advance his position. So, um, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'd like to hear how you guys feel about it. Um, but, you know, that's the call they made, and, you know, the young Spencer Boyd and the young team, they got to go to victory lane and celebrate, and that's good for that team. Um, you know, that's what all these teams are in the sport to do is win. It might not be the way he wanted to win, but, you know, they got the trophy at the race shop, and they were celebrating on Monday or Sunday, whatever you want to call it. So um, I'm, so I'm kind of curious to see yeah. what you guys have to say, but in my mind, I'm, you know, 50-50. He didn't advance his position. So um, I think NASCAR needs to make the rule a little bit more um, carved in stone is, I guess you would say, more clear on um, – because I heard some stuff about, well, they need to take a few yeah. words out of their rule book. So, um, right. yeah, you just that's the call they made. So, And here's my problem with, with – with, you brought up a good point there with – Scott Miller came out this weekend and said some interesting things about it. And he said, well, the fact that Sauter's car was completely below the yellow line when he blocked Herbst is why we called it. If he had two wheels below the yellow line – we might not have called it. To me, that's kind of nonsense. You know, either the, you blocked the guy below the yellow line or you didn't, plain and simple. Um, and, you know, I, I love the fact when they come out and they said it's black and white, it's clear as day, the rule, it's clear. And then they say, well, it's a judgment call. Well, then it's not very clear if it's, uh, if it's a judgment call, you know. So um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't understand how – it's clear when you sit there and say it's a judgment call. Now, if you want to come out and say, hey, it's a judgment call, I'm all for that. That's totally fine. And say, you know, there's going to be situations where we come out and we're going to, you know, um, you know, we're going to be sitting there going, well, we might not call this for this reason and that reason, but it doesn't mean it's clear. It's just, it means it's a judgment call. You know, and, and, I, and the problem I have with judgment calls in NASCAR, Philip, you do it all the time, is they're, inconsistent, they're consistently inconsistent. And their selective enforcement. Um, we've never seen uh, this rule called, and I think it opens up a lot of can of worms. I think people are going to be watching this now as we go on. You know, you can argue, go watch the 2008 finish of your guy Tony Stewart with Regan Smith, Philip. Uh, he probably should have been called for that. If that race happens here in 2019 tomorrow, uh, he's probably black flagged for that. Um, and and Regan Smith standing in victory lane with the victory. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, to me, we've never seen this called, and I think they've sort of opened up the box and say, okay, now they have to call it whenever we see that. And, and I don't want it not called when there's two tires below the yellow line. I don't want it not called because it happened for 15th instead of for the lead. Um, I want it to be called all the time like we see with the yellow line rule. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Philip, and, and your thoughts in general? on the yellow line rule for the uh, super speedway tracks? Well, the the super speedway tracks in general and the way you have to race, quote, race, unquote, is, is a joke. It's been that way since 1987 when Bobby Allison blew a bad year left rear tire and hit the catch can. Uh, and this was a temporary solution that they purported this year, oh, we've gotten rid of the restrictor plates for the 
it makes no sense to me to this day. And so because he's blown so many opportunities at Talladega before, and then they screwed him in 2005. Uh, but, hey, it's, that's NASCAR for you. Yeah, and again, you know, there's certain there's different people making this decisions ten years ago than there is today. There's no doubt about that, uh, as far as NASCAR is concerned, and comparing it to what happened with Tony Stewart. But, you know, to put a bow on this, the yellow line rule. The reason why it's a problem is just because it's just the inconsistency. And like I said, you know, when they come out and say, well, if, all you had to do was come out this weekend and say, well, he blocked him below the yellow line. We're gonna get a little bit more. Tolerable. We're gonna get, you know, we're gonna enforce that a little bit more than we have in the past. And I think people would have been like, okay, well, they're gonna enforce it more now. Now we gotta see it. I don't. I just hate the fact when he says, well, if he had two tires below the yellow line, we might not have done it. Now you can. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now they're obviously trying to to save it because I think a lot of people felt that Newman pushed Blaney below the yellow line, but I thought those were two different situations, for sure. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, Ryan Blaney's in victory lane, and, and Spencer Boyd's in victory lane, and that's the way it goes, you know. And, and uh, there's nothing you could do to change it. So uh, that that's the way it all shakes out. Uh, truck Series point standings very interesting, you know. And if you're a Truck Series fan and you're not sure, because the schedules changed a little bit this year because Texas, which was the third and last race of the year, has moved. It moved that race moved to June on the schedule, so the, the race. Uh, at Texas has changed just a little bit, um, so now we go to they go to Martinsville, and then they got a week off again. Then they go to Phoenix, so they're off this weekend at, at this Cup Series and the Xfinity Series runs at Kansas. Then the Truck Series and Cup Series goes to Martinsville next weekend, at, and a, and then it's Phoenix uh, after a week off when the Cup Series and Xfinity Series goes to Texas. Triple had a weekend at Phoenix. Triple had a weekend at Homestead to end it all. So they're in there their round of six in the truck series. So when you look at the point standings real quick, uh, Brett Moffitt's in the lead. He's got 3,085 points. He's 23 points ahead of Stuart Friesian in second. I think Moffitt, barring some kind of major catastrophe at Martinsville and Phoenix, uh, should be in the playoff, in the final four there at Homestead. The other three right now, there's a lot up in the air. Um, Friesian is, is just uh, 21 points above Crafton right now for fourth and really 22 points above that. There's still two races to go, still four stages, so that's, there's a lot that can change there. Uh, ten points behind Friesian is Austin Hill, and then Matt Crafton is one point ahead of Tyler Ankrum, one point ahead of Tyler Ankrum for um, the final playoff spot right now as they get to Homestead. And two points back in that line is the ever-famous three, Mr. Three wins this year and Ross Chastain, who in the middle of the year looked like a, certainly a shoe-in for this championship, but now as this team sort of hit nose-dived a little bit, he will go to Martinsville where they had a really, really, really strong race truck there uh, back in the spring. Um, and I think that 45 team could be a favorite to win there. Same thing at Phoenix. But Ross can't have any major issues. He isn't an issue at Martinsville. He could go into Phoenix in, in a winner-go-home winner situation to get into Homestead. And for the year that 45 team's had, that'd be a shame. Uh, but Spencer, what do you look at when anything that really sticks out to you as far as these points are concerned in the truck series before we move on and start talking about Kansas? Honestly, not really. I mean, if you think about it, they started this round off at Talladega. So basically every it's a fresh start and Ross got involved in a wreck and that's the only reason he's down there. Um, you know, I think we can all agree. We all see, we all three see him getting stage points in every round um, in the final four stages two at Martinsville and two at Phoenix. Um, he's going to have good finishes if he stays out of trouble. So, honestly, him not making it to the Final Four is going to be pretty shocking. Um, and like I said, the only reason he's down there is because of Talladega. So, um, like you said, Moffitt's pretty much a sure lock to the Final Four. Um, and I would have to say Friesen, too. Um, it's just going to be a toss-up between the Final Two. I would say Ross would make it. Um, so, it's just toss-up between Crafton and Ankrum, but um, we'll just have to see after Martinsville where they all stack up, and you know, um, hopefully it's uh, going to be a good battle at Homestead. So nothing. Yeah, Crafton and Hill. Yeah, not not yet. And it's Talladega, so it's all shook up, like you said, and and it makes Martinsville all that much more interesting for these truck series events, just because you know Martinsville could be a lot of chaos there as well. Uh, it's a short track. There could be a lot of chaos there for the truck series. So 
Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that shakes out and where we're sitting here in a couple of weeks after Martinsville. 917-889-8280, that's the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles. Um, Kansas Speedway this weekend, Phillip. We go there, Xfinity Series and the Cup Series, Xfinity Series 40 cars, Cup Series 40 cars. Um, what are your thoughts? What do you think we're going to see here at Kansas? You know, obviously the Cup Series, uh, it's an elimination round for them. Um, and we talked a little bit earlier about the points. What are your thoughts on um, on who do you think is going to advance? Uh, do you see one of these drivers from Hendrick Motorsports? May, you know, there's three Hendrick Motorsports drivers on outside the top eight right now. Uh, do you see any of those drivers advancing into the round of eight? Um, or do you think uh, all three of them will, will miss the playoffs here uh, at Kansas? What are your thoughts about the Cup Series wow. and the playoff situation? Yeah, I I figure outside of a Clyde, you know, miracle when he goes and takes the nine car repeats at Kansas in this race, I think Kendrick Motorsports is going home, like Spencer talked about earlier. Um, outside of that, I think it's a status quo deal. I figure Martin Truex, or I mean, Kyle Busch has not really been all that great. Uh, for everyone who talks about him, that he hasn't really been that good for a while. Uh, might be a spot for Kyle Busch to go and kind of show up and win a race. I mean, Truex best on the cookie cutters. Uh, I think it'll be a Toyota type of weekend uh, at Kansas. Of course, you know, Harvick is going to have to stay there uh, in recent recent weeks and even on sun on Monday with a somewhat wrecked car he was there too. So it's I think in the end it'll be a Toyota type of race. It'll be between the nineteenth and eighteenth for that victory. The figure status quo stays because Brad's really one of one of his best racetracks. Joey has won there before as well. I think they're going to put all their energy to make sure that they accumulate as many points as they can in those stages. Yes, sir. That is going to be an interesting weekend. How about you, Spencer? Again, uh, Xfinity Cup. Uh, what do you expect to see at Kansas this weekend? A, a standard mile and a half track, no doubt about it. Uh, Xfinity Series, it's going to be an interesting race there as well. A cup, like I said, it's an elimination race for them. Um, and what do you expect to see um, as we get ready to go here uh, going to Kansas? Well, for the Xfinity race, I expect to see the big three um, up front. I mean, it's so hard to bet against those guys. They've been locked in all year. Um, and, of course, Pell, he won the race last year at Kansas. So, um, I think him and Custer and Reddick are going to be the guys to beat. Um, you know, I know Al Guy, he really wants to be that number four guy. So, it's basically every week you see them same guys, and those are the four that you really have to watch out for, especially the three. Um, so, that's what I'm going to go with the Xfinity side. Um, for the Cup, uh, I don't know. Philip pretty much mentioned. I don't. I don't think anybody has what it takes to beat Truex. Um, you know, he's he's won he won two races in the first round, and he's been dom. He's been pretty solid all year. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy to beat. Um, and Harvick could very well win too. So you know, he's turned it on from mid part of the season where he started getting a couple wins and. Um, you know, when it's time to go playoff and him and Roddy Childers wins in the playoffs, they pretty they ramp up pretty good and um they give everybody a show. And as far yeah, we as haven't really seen below it. the guys make it. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Spencer. You're good. And before, and and the guys below the cut line, I really don't see them advancing. So, um the four that are below are gonna be the ones going home. So the top eight that we have in the points will be going on in the round eight. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think um, it, it's going to take a miracle. Real quick, uh, Philip, your pick to win uh, Xfinity and Cup Series events 
this weekend at Kansas? Yeah, Xfinity. I'm I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna be uh, a typical fanboy. I know that Spencer talked about the big three, but I feel like there's just a momentum going on there for Chase Briscoe, and uh, he's run well there in an ARCA car before as well. Uh, I'm gonna go Chase Briscoe to win the Xfinity. I'll go Martin Truex for Cup. Yeah, Truex certainly is a favorite to win this weekend. Uh, I tell you, I'm I'm curious to see what this 42 team does if if they sort of play it safe at Kansas, where they sit there and go, this is a mile and a half track, this is a track that you know we could use for Homestead, um, and will this 42 team come out and really be strong? They're the only Chevrolet representative right now. Uh, I think a lot of people expect Larson to um, maybe have that win at Dover propel him to a, a late race run, but it's going to be very interesting as far as the Xfinity Series side. It, a, the first race of the round of eight for them, uh, the four drivers who are in, of course, Bell, Custer, Reddick. Reddick's 30 points up right now in third, 36 points up at Custer's in second, and 48 points is Bell. They pretty much locked themselves into Homestead. It's going to be that final spot like we've all kind of thought it was going to be there. That's going to be the real uh, interesting piece for the playoffs in the uh, Xfinity Series. Allgaier's three back, Briscoe's four back. And that's eight back, and, and Gregson's 12 back of Austin Centric, who is currently in fourth. So something to keep an eye on for the Xfinity Series uh, and, and, and the Cup Series here. As we go to Kansas Speedway, we want to thank everybody tonight for listening to Talking in Circles, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.